0: Hello, Gut Check Project fans, as well as KBMD Health family. It is now time for the COVID File Installment 5.5. And, of course, the point five means that we've got a drop in from our favorite, Dr. Stuart Ackerman. He's here to hang out with our very own Dr. Kenneth Brown. They are going to talk a little bit more about testing and other avenues through COVID file-related stuff as basically we wrap up this series of the COVID file. And uh, if we have to revisit it, we will. But we're going to move into the summer months, and we're going to hit back to the uh, Gut Check Project normal-styled uh, format. We've, we've, uh, we've moved through some incredible information. We uh, will obviously keep you updated as we move forward. Forward. But that being said, please check out today's uh, COVID File 5.5. Let's get to the sponsors and then, uh, of course, on to Dr. Ackerman and Dr. Brown as they arm you with some incredible information moving forward. As uh, as school breaks, we, hope we go into the summer and uh, try to enjoy each other's company. So, of course, this episode is brought to you by Unrefined Bakery. How else can I say it? It's incredible food. If you like bread, if you like cookies, if you like cupcakes, if you like just healthy trail mix, if you just want to have something that tastes great and you happen to be uh, following a diet that happens to be paleo, keto, gluten-free, they've... Got it. I've said it every time since they've been a sponsor. It's just great food that happens to be healthy for you. Go to unrefinedbakery.com. That's unrefinedbakery.com. Use code GUTCHECK and save 20% off of your first order on the Internet to be delivered to your door. You don't even have to leave the house. And they deliver to all 48 of the, lower, uh, the uh, lower 48 states. Kind of tripped over my words there. Unrefinedbakery.com. Give them a view, order some great food for yourself. And of course, brought to you by Dr. Brown's own, Atron Teal. LoveMyTummy.com. Do you have your daily polyphenol intake taken care of? Are you an athlete? Do you care about your gut health? Do you want to make certain that your immunity is firing on all cylinders, especially considering the existing pandemic? Get yourself your daily polyphenols, Teal. It's exactly what it is. It's chock full of the world's most stable polyphenol blend that exists, developed by our own Dr. Kenneth Brown. And you can have your own at LoveMyTummy.com forward slash KBMD. Of course, again, that is lovemytummy.com because we all love our tummies. Get yourself some Autron Teal today. And last but not least, KBMD Health. KBMDHealth.com. Use code GCP. Save at least 20% off of anything in the store. And that includes KBMD CBD. That includes Atron-teal. That includes Dr. Brown's signature package, which is those two together. And it also includes the professional version of broccoli, sulfurophanes, polyphenols, CBD. Take care of your body. Take care of your ECS. Take care of inflammation. Take care of your immune system. That's what we're here to do at KBMD Health is just take care of you. So go to KBMDHealth.com. Use code GCP. Save at least 20% and have a great day. Now, of course, it's now time for the COVID File 5.5 featuring Dr. Stuart Ackerman and our very own Kenneth Brown. Enjoy the show. Thank y'all so much. We will be back next week with another episode.
1: What's up, everyone? Here we are again, we're on episode 5.5. I had to bring back my favorite, second favorite co-host, Dr. Ackerman, because what we're going to talk about today is really interesting. It's a thing that everybody has been discussing in the news. It's how do we test people? Everyone needs to be tested. And then people go, oh, well, there's these uh, bad tests out there. Oh, with well, the sensitivity, specificity, nobody's explaining any of it. So as it turns out, Dr. Ackerman's really smart at this stuff. And we've been working with the company because we want to introduce rapid testing here in North Texas. And Dr. Ackerman has actually helped this company a ton in the type of tests that they're doing, how to explain it. And we're talking sensitivity, specificity, negative predictive value, positive predictive value, stuff that I struggle with a ton. As it turns out, the other guy on the side of the screen here is super smart at it. So uh, Dr. Ackerman, can you comment on that real quick?
2: Yeah. First of all, make sure you don't burn any bridges with your first favorite co-hosts.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: Right. <laughs> and uh, and you're right. I mean, we've uh, pretty much turn on the TV, go on uh, the internet, and we're talking about you know testing. What kind of testing is it available? How much do we need? And then you kind of hear from the other side that there may be tons of tests, but too many, and they're not as good. And you know, you sort of take that all at face value, but what does that mean that the test is no good? What makes it a good or a bad test? And I think that's where you know maybe we can do a better job of explaining it to people and you're right. it's it's super confusing. So
1: we uh, did episode four point five where we talked about different uh, the macaques and the antibody testing and things. So we kind of hinted at it, but now we're getting to this point where we're saying, yeah, but what does all that mean? Nobody's talking about it. you you and I got in a discussion. John Oliver, uh, you watch a show on that.
2: Yeah, so, you know, I don't want to sort of rehash. I don't think we're going to do it justice. John Oliver, with his extensive medical degree, did an excellent job <laughs> last week explaining some of the differences between the tests and some of the pitfalls. Um, but I think where we can add a little value to the discussion is to discuss why. Why is it that the test you might go get at your local, you know, minute clinic or doctor's office or anything, why that might not offer you the value that you're, you're really looking for?
1: Yeah. And we can, we talked before about the pros and cons of that. We don't know that. But what we're going to talk about today is why that's why getting a test may mean something different if you're in New York or if you're in Plano, Texas.
2: Right. And you want to know the characteristics of the test, the characteristics of the disease process, where you are, and what you're trying to get out of the test. And that will determine whether or not, it number one, makes sense for you to get tested and how you can get a better result.
1: Yeah. So we've been seeing that the FDA is saying that you have to apply for this and then you have to achieve a certain, let's start with the basics, a certain sensitivity and specificity. Sensitivity, my friend.
2: So... Actually, what I want to do is I'm gonna I'm gonna share my screen with a, a couple slides here, and you know I wanna I wanna go over some important definitions. There's tons of stuff, and and you don't need a degree in statistics to figure this out, but it can be confusing. So I think if we sort of write it down, uh, it might it might hit home a little bit better. So I'm so
1: impressed that you actually left New York. I really because you seem like somebody who would be teaching at NYU or. Um, Mount Sinai or something like that. So thank I you for joining have, our group. I want to
2: have more time for podcasts. There we go. <laughs> so a couple, six definitions that I want to I go over here. And the first you alluded to, sensitivity and specificity. The best way I would explain sensitivity is what percentage of patients that actually have the disease will test positive, right? So the true positives coming out of the, uh, of the test. And the specificity is the opposite. It's the percentage of the patients that don't have the disease and will test negative. So the patients who appropriately test negative for this disease process. Those are intrinsic qualities of the test itself. So you can apply the specificity and the sensitivity to any different population because the test characteristics don't change. What does change, and this is the difference, is the positive and the negative predictive values. So the positive predictive value are the percentage of those positive tests that are accurately positive. And the negative predictive value is the percentage of negative tests that are accurately negative. To say it another way, when I get a test, if it tells me I'm positive, what are the chances that it's right? That's what I really care about. I wanna know if I think I have strep and I go get a strep test and it's positive, should I be taking antibiotics and will I get better? That's what we're really asking. And it is different than the sensitivity and specificity, which I will clarify in a second. All the right. other two really important definitions are the incidence of disease and the prevalence of the disease, because these are two different things. The easiest way to differentiate is the incidence are the proportion of people who actively currently have the disease. The prevalence, is how many people were affected, not necessarily currently infected. So when you talk about it in terms of the tests that we're talking about, the PCR test looking for active viral replication, that's looking at the incidence of disease. Who's got it now? But the antibody testing looks at who's got it or who had it. And that's more a test for the prevalence of the disease.
1: Well explained. Okay. Yeah.
2: All right. So the classic way we look at this is using this, it's called a two by two table or a two by two plot. And you basically up on the, uh, in the, in the top bar here, that's the disease or the process that you're looking at and whether you have positive or negatives. And then along the margin here, you're talking about the test characteristics, a positive or a negative test. So when you want to ca- ca- uh, calculate the sensitivity, you're looking at this row right here. So the people who have true positives over the total number of positives. So 80, uh, excuse me, if you've got 100% of people, 10, let's say, people who have a positive test and only eight of them actually have the disease, that means eight out of 10 or 80% sensitivity for that test. When you look on the the, the, um, right column here, that's where you're going to figure out your specificity. That's your negative side. It's the total number of true negatives, people who actually don't have the disease and tested negative, over all the negative tests. That's going to tell you your specificity. So I remember... Way, I'm sorry?
1: Go ahead. No, I was just going to dumb it down to a level that, that this... That yeah, go for it. it. I just remember that when I had somebody explain it to me that... Think of sensitivity and the specificity if you were to look at these graphs think of it like a car alarm that if you make everything so sensitive so that you could catch the person trying to steal your car that means that a a horn or a loud noise will set it off if you make it super specific that it only means that one method of a car being stolen and so you have this issue of you have this trade-off where you have the Do you want a car alarm that's super sensitive and will catch everything, but you're going to get false positives all the time? Or do you want a specific test that only catches, but every once in a while, they're going to be able to steal your car a different way?
2: Right. And the ideal test is going to be high at both. It's going to be really great at ruling people in and great at ruling people out. And the question that often comes up is how do you know the sensitivity and specificity? And the answer is you have to validate every study against a gold standard test ones where you know the numbers and see how it performs the positive and negative predictive values are different that's looking across the rows so if you have the percentage of positive tests accurately positive now you're looking at of all the tests you did and all the positives you got how many were right how many actually are getting positive for a person who has a disease as opposed to a, a missing it, right? So to say it a different way, the percentage of positive tests that are accurately positive because it's how many people in there have it and showed it versus how many have it and you miss them. The negative predictive value is the bottom row, kind of similar, how many of the people who the test said are negative actually are negative and you've missed and got these false positive results of people who actually don't have the disease.
1: That's so fascinating, because once you got me thinking about this, and I've learned this for every board exam, and then I've kind of forgotten it, and then I have not applied it, and then I started thinking about this. You got me thinking, we need to be using this type of logic in the area they're at with the incidence, prevalence. It's, 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 it's got me kind of rethinking how to look at this whole thing.
2: Yeah, and it doesn't, this is not something that's unique to COVID testing. This is true of every single test that we do. If you get a flu swab, if you get a strep test, a culture, everything has oh, their inherent bias. A UA for a UTI. I
1: mean, you name it. We're you're gonna use this on every single test. As clinicians, we tend to move away from this a little bit because, well, we're just treating symptoms and we're kind of moving on. But this is such a – it's such a fun exercise. And if you're – if anybody's listening to this and they've got a um, child, niece, nephew, friend, anybody who's in med school, this is a great way to learn it. This is not how they teach you in med school. They teach it way harder.
2: <laughs> and it, that's why it never sinks in. <laughs> yeah, well, I've had time to think about it and marinate for, for a bit. <laughs> So I just want to finish this without leaving too many slides here, but what I want to do is I want to show now how the disease prevalence, how much disease there is in the population that you're testing will affect the positive and negative predictive values, okay? So to say it a different way, the more prevalent your disease is, the more chance there is of having a true positive, and therefore your positive predictive value will go up. Whereas, when you have a lower incidence of disease, it's more likely that the random person you test is negative, so that's gonna favor having a better negative predictive value, okay? So, as I said in the beginning, sensitivity and specificity, that doesn't change. That's inherent to the test. So if I tell you that there's a 10% incidence of disease and an 80% sensitivity of the test that we're applying, eight people will test positive who have the disease, Two have the disease will be missed and test negative. For the specificity, I'm using in this test an arbitrary value of 94%. I'm just telling you that that's the parameter of this test. 90 people, because it's a 10% incident of disease, 90% don't have it. So 85 will test negative based on a 94% specificity, and five will test positive even though they don't have it. They're false positives. So looking across here, Eight out of 13 people will test positive and have the disease. That's a positive predictive value of 62%. That means if you go today and you go get tested and it's positive, almost a flip of a coin if that test is accurate for you. Whereas it does a great job of telling you you don't have it if it's negative. So you can feel a lot more confident in that negative study than you can in the positive. When you flip this around, and you increase the disease incidence, and instead you got 20% of people now, the sensitivity and specificity didn't change. You're using the same exact test. So I know that the sensitivity and specificity are 80 and 94. doesn't make a difference.
1: Just to clarify, so to get the sensitivity and specificity, it's usually done where they have the known disease negative, known disease positive. They go to a clinical lab and they run it and then they can show, okay, because that's what's going on right now. That right, the they FDA compare said.
2: it to a gold standard. Yes. And that's one of the issues here. We don't have gold standards, but we've got good ideas. And we know that people who are positive with the PCR testing, that's the time to check people because that becomes our gold standard. And those have a very, very high sensitivity and specificity. The assays that we've been using for PCRs have Sensitivity and specificities of 98 and 99%. They've been really, really good.
1: Of the test, but then we can talk about technique, which is a whole different thing. Which
2: changes and can lower your sensitivity. Part of the problem. Yeah. So here in this this example, we're going to say that 20% of the people that you're testing have the disease process. So now up here, 20%, 20 people out of 100 have it, 80 don't. So now 80% of those 20 is 16. 20% 20% is four. On the flip side here, 75 test negative don't have it, five do. So now when you calculate the positive predictive value, because more people around you have it, there's more of a chance a positive will be right. 16 out of 21 increases your positive predictive value to 76%. But the flip side to that, since more people have the disease, there's a slightly lower chance that a negative will catch you appropriately. So now 75 out of 79 give you a negative predictive value of 95%. So to summarize that one more time, the higher the prevalence of the disease, the higher the positive predictive value, the better a positive test indicates true disease. In a lower incidence population, there's less disease there. The test is much better at giving you a true negative result and ruling the, test, the, ruling the disease out for you. Got it. Hope that makes sense. I mean, I, well, I think that... Well,
1: let's, um, let's play around with it a little bit. I went ahead and pulled up an Excel spreadsheet. And if you'll let me share real quick, I'll do the same thing. Let's play with this. Let's say that there's a 100,000 person population. And we can change these parameters. Let's say that it's infected by SARS-CoV. There's 2,000, not infective. So the prevalence, we are now in, um, where are we, Uh, Plano? What do you think? What do you think our prevalence will end up being?
2: So tough to say, but there's actually data in Dallas and our prevalence is somewhere between 11.5% and 12%. Oh, really? Yeah. That is way higher than what I was thinking. It's so, published data by the Dallas Department of Health.
1: Okay, so let's say that there's a 1% prevalence. Then what that means is, just like you were explaining, if we have a sensitivity of 98% and a specificity of 99. Like so a very ideal test. test. It is the ideal test. And so if you have this, the positive predictive value is literally a flip of a coin. That is with the best test you can have. That is fascinating with the, what you just showed. And then of course the negative predictive value, just like you explained, is 100%. So let's say, and you're part of the solution because as we talked about last time and as we've been working with these companies, we want to be part of the solution. We want to be able to do rapid point of care IgG, IgM test, and we want to get that data and we want to show it. But let's say that here in the state of Texas, we are at 12%. That positive predictive value goes to 93%. So the more that we know about how many people are infected, the more that we can help these companies with their testing and the more that we can say things. So I want you to explain this. You have a patient that says, Dr. Ackerman, I watched your podcast and let's assume that we're gonna split the difference or whatever, somewhere around 5%. So I got a positive test. What would you tell your coworker, patient, friend that did this looking at that?
2: So which test are we talking about?
1: Oh, we're talking about, um, I thought I had COVID two months ago and I tested
2: IgG positive. Right. So if you've got an antibody test that's positive, assuming all these characteristics, I'd say there is a very good likelihood you, in fact, had the disease. But if you tested negative, I would tell you almost certainly you haven't had it or been exposed.
1: So let's get back to those tests there. I'll stop my share. the value of doing antibody tests everybody on the news is talking we need to get tested we need to get tested nobody's talking what type of tests Uh, the fda tries to say sensitivity specificity you just showed very clearly that it really depends on where you're getting it done so we'll be able to gather some of this data and as we start doing this what are you going to tell your patients that do test positive as we're gathering the data so that's that's an ideal we can play with the numbers. We don't know what the numbers are yet in each segment. So what would you say to that, just so that everybody is very clear about what an antibody
2: test is? So right now, the only thing that we can tell you if if you have antibodies is whether or not you've been exposed. The assumption is that there's immunity because that's how immunity works for all kinds of viruses, but the, the X factor here is that what that means for each virus is different. How much do you need for immunity? How long does that immunity last? Can you lose that? Will it wane over time? And these are all the questions that we can't yet answer. So if you're going to get tested, it doesn't help you so much at the moment because we don't know what it means for immunity, but it helps the population because it helps us better define how prevalent the disease is. And that starts helping us then figure out, well, when are we gonna get closer to herd immunity? Because we know a certain a certain amount of the population needs to have been exposed, can right? Define,
1: can you just define herd immunity really quick? Because that gets thrown around a whole lot sure. by the media, but the reality is herd immunity is a very definitive, or it's not a definitive thing, it's a theoretical thing, but.
2: Right. So, if you have the disease and you're walking around and all these other people are around you that you could potentially infect, that's not going to be great, right? And that's kind of what happened in the beginning, right? People were walking around, they didn't know that they were infected themselves and they're therefore able to infect other people. But if enough people walking around you are, for lack of a better term at the moment, immune so they can't get infected, then the fact that you have the infection isn't as big a deal. And that's what herd immunity is, that if enough people around you are immune, your, your ability to affect the population as a whole goes down. And that's the idea behind immunity and vaccination to create this herd immunity.
1: Yeah, think of it like you're at a bowling alley. There's 12 lanes, 12 people. The lane one person has the virus. They give it to lane two. Lane two gives it to lane three. Lane three gives it to somebody who's been vaccinated. It stops. Right. Lane four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve 10, 11, 12. Do not get this. So that's, that's what the herd immunity is. And I don't know what the, it's based on the R-naught number, the number of exposed. And I think I've read someplace it's, if we can get 70% of the US either vaccinated or infected, it, it basically is wipes out this disease. So
2: yeah, I'll admit I've heard the same number, but I, I don't know I don't know the data behind it, but I, I have seen that quoted. So.
1: <laughs> and now you got me questioning data all the time. Now you now I'm looking at oh my gosh, I'm getting I actually, I'm, I'm going to take a break. Eric and I, I, t- I worked with Eric today, and I was like, dude, can we do a non-COVID podcast? Can we do, I mean, I don't really care what we talk about. Um, Eric brought up um, Mike Tyson, looks like he's training again. And at 53, he looks like he could just wreck shop. So I'm like, let's talk boxing or something, anything but COVID right now, because the data is just all these non-peer-reviewed articles that then get chewed up and shredded by statisticians and other doctors. It's um, its hard. It's really hard.
2: It is. And it's, and it's confusing. And, you know, I think when it comes to all this COVID testing, you know, some of the things you got to remember as a, a patient or someone who's looking to get tested, there's tons of tests available now. Tons. And all of them have different sensitivities and specificities, and because of that, their ability to tell you whether you do or don't have the disease, or in the antibody testing, whether they whether you have or haven't been exposed, are going to vary, right? And many of those tests were recalled already by the FDA, and the FDA is starting to crack down on it because they they sort of open the gates a little too wide, yeah. And exactly. because we don't know yet the incidence and prevalence of the disease it makes it a little more challenging to calculate those positive and negative predictive values. And we know that geography plays a role in this because the incidence changes, right? While it definitely is higher in Dallas than we initially thought, we haven't thankfully gotten anywhere near what the incidence is in New York, where in some areas it's it's gotten over 20%. So the same test might might tell you different things depending on whether you did it in Dallas or whether you did did it in New York.
1: And, you know, you said it best right there that if we do this when we get our tests in, because you're an integral part of this and you're going you're gonna to help us try and figure this out, the tests that we're looking at will upload to the CDC to help them have real-time images. We're going to have a snapshot of our area. It would be so cool to, we're all in this together kind of attitude. Well, let's bring the data in together. Um, I did have a very interesting discussion, which you and I have talked about, um, with uh, the manager at our surgery center today, Chris, and he was like, but what do you do if you start testing employees? Does, do you have to shut every, I mean, then all of a sudden you get into these ethical, theoretical, where do we go? Blah, blah, blah. Like you just, it just goes down rabbit holes. All I know is we got to start getting some data and we can start doing it between you, you and I, we can get our patients involved. We can get People coming in, if you want to get a finger prick and find out if you're IgG positive, I know I will feel more comfortable going to the hospital. I know I'll feel more comfortable hugging my wife if we're both IgG positive. Whether I'm wrong, we're just gonna learn over time, but there's no way to test
2: it. Right. And and some of this, you know, information that we're gonna gather now you know, will be available later that we can look back at and reanalyze. So we've got to build that data set. And that's kind of the pitch that I would make to our patients and, and the community at large. You know, if someone says to me right now, should I get tested for antibodies? You know, is there a value to it? I would say there is. You just have to understand what that value is. And right now, there's a little bit less of a value personally although there's definitely some, like you just said, but there's a big community impact that we can we can have.
1: Okay, and so you always end up with some great little nugget. Say that one more time, right so now.
2: So As it stands right now, you'll have some information for yourself. Can't tell you if you're immune. We can tell you if you've been exposed, which is on the mind of many people. I had that illness two months ago, they tested me for flu, it was negative. But now that, I, now that I know more about COVID, why couldn't I have had COVID at that time? This can answer that question, but it can't tell me if I'm immune. But on a population level, it can start telling us what that prevalence of the disease is. It then can feed back and make our tests better because now we know what the prevalence is. It has ripple effects.
1: This doesn't. uh, This this is usually the stuff that's discussed in an academic institution behind ivory tower. Now we're just like we're we're all in it, people. Let's all do this. That's that's what's cool.
2: Yeah, and you know, two months from now, three months from now, whatever it is, when we find out what immunity means and what what thresholds we need for immunity, we might be able to look back at this now and say, well, we've got all these patients that are already tested, and this is the threshold in this test maybe these patients are immune and now we can go back and tell them that, you know, sort of remains to be seen. But I I would say that there's value in antibody testing. You just have to understand what that value is. I would also suggest that, and we've discussed this as as part of the parameter that we're going to employ, if a patient has a positive test, you know, partially because we don't know yet how strong that positive predictive value is, and also because IgG starts during the illness. So we don't know if you're a had a disease person or have a disease person. We're gonna get, we're gonna have all those people get follow-up testing immediately for PCR. Because if your PCR test is positive, you're actually in the disease, starting to get over it, and you're gonna you're gonna self-quarantine and we're gonna let you know and you're not gonna expose anyone. And now you're gonna know that you had it. And that's going to help you later on, not just now.
1: Yeah, yeah. I know that if I, when these tests come in and I and I get tested and I'm IgM, for instance, calling up the wife and kids and I'm saying, see you in about three weeks, going to go get a hotel room, not even right. coming, not even coming home. So,
2: and you know, I'll I'll go one step ahead of you there and, and sort of shift gears just a little bit on my soapbox. But you know, we had discussed. A couple recent articles you know offline here one of them being that article in Spain that tested uh, all the health uh, healthcare workers in one of the hospitals where they had really strict PPE and they found an incidence of the disease that was almost identical to the general incidence they have in the population and it's interesting because we both uh, we both came to the same conclusion uh, as did your favorite co-host that it wasn't that the incidence was lower. It was that PPE works. Yeah, and you know you can have your own opinions, and I'm not saying there's right or wrong about the economy and, and all these other things that are going on. But there are ways to meld both of those ideas together. And as we start getting out of our homes and reopening the economy, and we're more uh, available, and we have more face time with people, we shouldn't lose sight of that and these principles that that are. Working to decrease transmission should still be employed.
1: Yeah, a recent study came out where it looked at to ER physicians in Utah, and very similar. Like the incidence was much lower than you would think. What we're doing works: the hand washing, the masks, everything. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, I tell you what, this is a tough topic that nobody's talking about. I appreciate you taking the time to do the PowerPoint. You've got it sorted out in your brain to help thicker brains like me get it kind of figured out because when we started realizing that yes when i talked to my patients this is the incident six months from now we can say oh look as it turns out plano's at 15 percent or north texas or whatever we can say with a certain certainty this is what it is then so thanks for helping the companies that we're working with thanks for taking the time to do this and um yeah this is an ever-evolving thing and i think that uh we're in it, we're part of it, and the beautiful people behind you in your scene there, this is why we're doing a lot of this stuff, so.
2: Yeah, I agree, and I would encourage anyone watching these videos to, uh, to ask us questions. You know, we, we're, we're, ta- we're guessing based on what we're hearing and what we're seeing, what it is that's confusing, and we can help explain and you know disseminate the information there, but if there's specific questions, let us know, that's what we're here for.
1: Absolutely. And as always, please like and share. Go to Dr. Ackerman's website. Go to my website. we got our sponsor, Teal. We know that a healthy gut leads to a healthy immune system. So everyone, stay safe. Dr. Ackerman, once again, thank you for a fantastic .5 episode.
2: Thank you.